Today on Security Science, we talk about the state of threat intelligence with a special guest. Hello, and thank you for listening to the podcast. Today, we're chatting about the state of everyone's favorite buzz technology, threat intelligence. On the line, I have our favorite internet finger printer, Kenna's head of research, Jay Cran. How's it going? Hey, Dan. We also have a special guest today, longtime pen tester, security advisor, internet listener, and founder of Gray Noise Intelligence, Andrew Morris. Hey, Dan. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. We're excited, too. Um, We've done a previous podcast here with Jay Cran where he covered Intrigue.io, which essentially scans and fingerprints assets and software versions for specific companies. And Android, uh, Gray Noise seems to fill the exact opposite use case of that. So listening to the internet to generate a baseline of uh, quote-unquote normal traffic. Can you talk us through Gray Noise and what it is? Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, for one of a number of different reasons, there are tons of different people and organizations that are constantly scanning and crawling the internet. So that means that every single computer that you hook up directly onto the internet or that's directly routable on the internet, if you run like a packet sniffer or you look at your IP tables logs or you look at anything like that, you will see traffic hitting you. Unsolicited scan and attack and crawl traffic hitting you, even though you haven't even told anybody that this system even exists yet. This happens to to every single device that's routable on the internet. And it's really easy to look at this as attacks or as someone coming out to get you, but the truth is this is just the background noise of the internet. This is the the scan and attack traffic that every single device is that is sitting on the internet is constantly subjected to. As a um, that's generated by good guys, bad guys, nobody really knows who guys. Everything in between. Everything in between. That's exactly right. And the problem with it is that if you don't have a firm handle on it, then you have to assume that everything is coming after you specifically and that it's an attack. And that's not true. It's not coming after you specifically. It's not an attack. This is just what everybody on the internet is subjected to. And nobody is putting any, any effort into understanding internet background noise, except for us at Grain Noise, as far as I know. So shameless plug right there, right? Now, well, I mean, you should be. I mean, we're bringing you on for the expertise. And that's kind of interesting. Like, we chatted with Jerry before on Zero Trust, right? And you're, you're assuming that if things are pinging any system, technology, all that good stuff, uh, it's probably bad unless you authorized it, right? And so that's kind of your role is to understand, hey, all this stuff's going to be pinging it. Not all of it's bad, but you should only let these things through. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, so yeah. that's right. So so, so I was going to say, I mean, there's lots of different, there's a lot of legitimate reasons for uh, organizations and individuals to scan and crawl the entire internet. What's bizarre is that there has been litigation around the legality of, of port scanning and of internet scanning and things like that, which is insane to me because the way that every search engine was ever born is because they scanned and crawled the internet for content like Google. Well, I was, was going to say SEO, right? Like, I don't want to block a Google scanner if I'm trying to get my blog to number one on the search ranking, 
right? That's exactly right. But you, you, um, it's it's mind blowing to me because you've got the Googles of the internet who have been doing it for a gajillion years for a, a well established internet, like a well established legitimate use case. But the technology is it's the same thing for like for the researchers and for for a lot of the good guys. And sometimes you know, obviously the bad guys are going to do a lot of the same thing too. And so there's ways that you can differentiate the two. But but in this case, yeah, I mean, like for example, like just super easy a super easy example is going to be look we use uh, uptime monitoring services like ping yeah. or PagerDuty right mm-hmm. and they're going to be pinging your network from one of a bunch of different places we're going to want to do performance monitoring tests using things like um, maybe Prometheus and maybe you're going to have lots of other different services that are going to be you know that are going to be testing your things, you know, web assets and things on your network. And you don't necessarily always know exactly where those things are going to come from. But if you assume that everyone who's like pinging your network or something like that is a bad guy, then you're going to live in constant fear for your entire life and your security team's going to be exhausted and alerts are going to mean nothing because everything is a red alert and it's, it's, a, it's a bad way to live. Got it. Well, here, uh, before we get too far into some of the other topics, I did want to say congratulations. So uh, if anyone's listening, we're actually recording on the day that uh, Grey Noise, they announced a $4.8 million seed run. So congrats on the the funding. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I'm I'm really, really excited about the funding. It's going to enable us to do a lot of stuff that we that that would have just taken us a really long time to do otherwise. Um, taking funding is always I'm like I'm not like being a wet blanket, but it's always a, 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 a double edged sword. On one hand, we have all this money to do all this cool stuff, and then on the other hand, the expectations go way up, and you know, and and we have to deliver with this money. And I take that really, really seriously. So it's like you celebrate a tiny little bit, but it's like it's kind of like a mortgage. So you know, it's <laughs> it's it's not just free money. It's it's very expensive free money. So absolutely, yeah. But thank well, you, I really appreciate it. Hey, that's awesome. I really appreciate that you came out on the show the same day that this came went live. So we'll make sure to uh, link the uh, tech. Crunch article that you guys got on the uh, podcast page itself. So thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, awesome. So let's transition here a little bit. You started to dig into that, but there's a couple problems with threat intelligence today. So I, I assume you created Gray Noise to solve some of those. Can you kind of elucidate what are some of the challenges with a lot of the threat intelligence feeds and why did you create Gray Noise? And just for the audience's edification, uh, <laughs> How I got introduced to Andrew was was a tweet Um, uh, here at Keno. You know, we've been working with threat intelligence quite frequently. We have our uh, VI product. We recently launched all that good stuff. And I see this tweet from this guy named Andrew, which will also link your Twitter on the uh, blog page. But quote unquote, the vast majority of threat intel products and data feeds on the market right now are an effing joke. Don't at me. And I was like... We should get this guy on the podcast. So that's how this all came up. I want to understand what's the context behind that tweet. So the context behind that tweet in particular, like why I was so that I've, I've felt like that for some time and um, for a host of different reasons. Um, but the actual thing that set me off to actually write that tweet on that day was that I got access to a threat feed and it was like the, the threats of the day of the threat feed. And I, and I copied 
um, I took everything in that threat feed and I enriched it against gray noise. So I just I threw it in our our analysis page to enrich all the IP addresses against everything that we know something about. And I found like 75 IP addresses in this threat feed uh, of like not even that many. It was like a thousand that day or something that were like they belonged to Google crawler. Some belong to Census, some belong to Shodan, some belong to Bing. And I was just like, why are these in this threat feed? Like, what am I supposed to do with this if it has all this, like, definitely good, benign stuff in here? What am I supposed to do with this? This is insane. Um, I've had other cases before where I've seen threat feeds that have include well-known public DNS servers like Google public DNS. Is the customer supposed to block that? What's the customer supposed to do? Is it is it bad if your network is talking to that? If, if so, how am I supposed to listen to any of this stuff? It's 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 insane. Sorry, what are you saying? Uh, no, well, so I can picture you kind of like in the room screaming at this. Yes, while that's you're literally a exactly what happened. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and why do you think that is? I mean, like, is it the fact that there just isn't context from these feeds? Like, wh- wh- where where what what is going wrong here? That is a really good question. So, oh, there's a lot of ways to unpack it. There's the, the the surface level thing is just going to be like, guys, like do some research on every single thing that before, like make sure you've got some guardrails in place before you tell somebody that something's bad. You need context and like, like you need to make sure that you're really doing your homework on this stuff um, before you ship it to a customer. So like that's just the super surface level thing, right? I would say that there is a bigger problem with companies that are charging based on the volume of indicators that they are handing to people because it incentivizes the threat intelligence company to produce the more threats. large the yeah. more threats right <laughs> to report on more threats and to deliver more IOCs or more indicators or or th- you know threaty indicators uh, in in their threat feed as possible because it's going to make them more money and and maybe that's going to come from an indicator perspective or maybe that's going to be because in the in the platform they charge based on how much you put into it i don't know right it can be one of any number of those things but like I think that that is at the root of a lot of the problem. Yeah, it makes sense. It, it puts more work on the analyst. I mean, like, there's no real disincentive to do that. But I was going to say, analyst... but like, it's their job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, when we're talking about trying to, you know, mitigate things at internet scale, though, right? The analysts can only, humans in general, can only handle so much. I, I was actually, when I said it's their job just now, I meant referring to the threat intelligence providers. It's their job to make sure that that stuff doesn't give the the uh, analyst in the SOC more work. They're supposed to give them less work. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, well, and Jay Crane, I'm curious to get your feedback on this too, right? We were just talking about Patch Tuesday and diffing and enriching kind of the vulns that occur, right? Um, that's a whole different ballgame when we're talking about, you know, external scan data, right? So... Yeah, yeah. There's definitely. I mean, if if you look at any typical SOC in any one of our customers, or really any any organization of significant size, I mean, those analysts are probably overwhelmed. They're probably dealing with a bunch of alerts that that quite honestly don't matter. But you can't you can't reasonably filter them out. So so the analog to the kind of problem is like focus on what matters, uh, and and without intelligence that kind of tells you who's behind. Uh, the actual alert, uh, you know, I, I would kind of summarize uh, what's being said to, to like, there's not enough context to be able to filter it out. So let's put more context. And really what the problem gray noise is solving is putting more context behind the 
actor that's driving that particular alert. And the more we can know about them and the more we can know about their intentions and what, what they're trying to do, the, the faster we can triage and focus on what actually matters. I, I, I agree. And the thing is, like, I don't want to sound flippant and like I don't understand why or how we got here or that like I have all the answers. There was a time when when someone reached out unsolicited to a device that belongs to you on the Internet and did one of a number of different things. That was probably an indicator that they were up to no good. I mean, I, I'll be the first one to tell you that there was a time where that was the case. That time was long ago and we need to adapt now because now there's ways there's ways where you can. There are so many people or so many organizations and researchers that are doing like good work. They're advertising the they have, you know, opt out lists. They're advertising. They have contact lit pages where they're they're saying like, "This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. This is in my user agent. This is in my RDNS. This is in my whatever." Right? And so there's like, there's the day is past now where when someone talks to a device that you have on the internet, there, there's ways to enumerate the the devices that have good intentions, the organizations that have good intentions. And and just to just to call out a couple of folks there, I mean, Rapid7 drove a lot of that with uh, their their policy folks and as well as uh, the Scans.io project, which eventually turned into uh, the discovery work that they do, Project Sonar. And, um, you know, I do the same thing with Intrigue.io and it's, it's uh, intended... Uh, positively, and, and we offer a lot of that data to folks just for free, uh, just just because we're trying to do research projects on the internet. And so, you know, having the ability to say, you know, we're we're not doing anything harmful, and to come back to the legal question, uh, there's a particular court case, the HiQ versus uh, LinkedIn project, where you know terms of service are are effectively it's gone to the Supreme Court, and and they've said terms of service, you know, you can't really enforce those for public data. And a lot of these systems, you know, and a lot of these researchers, myself included, are looking at public systems, looking at uh, publicly exposed services and not doing malicious things. So it's pretty interesting to be able to say, you know, this, you know, if, to be able to go to Gray Noise and say, do we know anything about this particular actor? Like, that's a pretty powerful thing to do. Yeah. And and I, they, they can be enumerated. They can be like um, it, it's harder and longer and uh, like it's it's. A, a more difficult process to enumerate all of the like known good people that are scanning and crawling the internet, but the effects that you end up with, the outcome of it is 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 really powerful because what you can do is you can get to the point where you can tell a customer, look, if anybody's talking to you other than these folks, or if anyone's, if if for example, okay, here's a good one, it you you see you know vuln checks on your network or something, you see somebody checking for a vulnerability, it's like oh man, I got to freak out about that, but. If you have the ability to say uh, who is vuln checking on my network that isn't a known benign scan crawl organization, that is powerful. Who's checking for blue keep on my network that isn't in this registry of known good internet wide scanners and callers? And I don't. I, and in, what's even more powerful than that is who is checking for the existence of this vulnerability that's not scanning and crawling the entire internet at all. Right. Because that's someone that's coming after you. Right. Yeah. It's, it's forget about this known benign thing. Let's just talk about who's coming after you specifically. Right. That is not Internet wide. That's they're They're coming for you. That is valuable. So that's an incident. Right. Like that's a real incident that should trigger a whole bunch of work. Yeah. Yes. One hundred percent. Yeah, that's 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 kind of multi actual use cases I heard here, right? So like for example, uh intrigue.io, right? They're trying to fingerprint and tell you, "Hey, you probably have these uh these uh 
vulnerabilities open the internet in a good way. That looks to most people, if you were to just take it from a technical standpoint, as a bad thing. But it's not. And you guys can help identify, hey, you actually want to let this happen because you might actually want to use Intrigue and figure out if you have this thing and then go take care of it. And then on the converse is like, hey, this one guy from this one IP is scanning for this one thing that is really bad on your systems. You should go do this like immediately. Right. Like this is something you want to pay attention to. So this is like a, this is a pretty good segue into kind of like Gray Noise is the vulnerability intelligence tool. And I know it's not the primary thing that Andrew does uh, and that Gray Noise is, is putting out there, but your, your Twitter feed is pretty powerful because oftentimes when you're, when you're seeing this sort of intelligence, uh, you announce it on Gray Noise IO. And this is a pretty good tip uh, for, for those of us in the vulnerability management space to go, hey, there's something that's actively being probed. Uh, and so I, I kind of use it as a, an early warning system, you know, like, hey, there are people out there looking for this particular vulnerability. It's time to kind of like, uh, you know, enumerate those vulnerabilities yeah. for folks. So so the reason um, the reason we do that on Twitter is for one of a number of it's it's a, it's a few different things. The, the first thing is, is like it's just really powerful and it's really valuable for people to know, like right off the bat, as soon as a vulnerability, especially a new vulnerability, starts being aggressively scanned for, crawled for, vuln checked for, and then opportunistically exploited, uh, it's really powerful for people to know that that is happening at scale, which basically means, hey, everyone, this, this impacts all of us now, right? This is now all of our problem, uh, objectively. From a data-driven perspective, this is now... Uh, objectively all of our problem. Um, so, so that's really powerful. The reason that we do it for free and that we don't charge any money for it, it's like, like it's hard to package that kind of thing at our size. And, and so it's like, you know, I, I thought about how to like turn that into a product offering and I was just like, man, I, there's, I don't really know because honestly you're at the mercy of the, of the vulnerabilities coming out. You're at the mercy of the, of the bad guys. And so it's like, I don't know if this would be able to provide consistent value. I don't know how we would be able to price and package this thing. So I'll say this, I mean, this is, it's very similar to the feeds that we integrate into the platform. Uh, it's, it's at least one of the methods we used, uh, is, is those sort of, uh, notifications that a particular vulnerability has been seen through a signature, right? So you have a signature that's tied to a CVE and uh, that tells you effectively that was used in the wild. And so, uh, you know, in that way, we often think of gray noise when we think about things that have gone very, very public. Uh, and, and, and often this happens very, very quick. I mean, the F5-9502, uh, yeah, 5902. There's a really good one because of how insanely fast it was. This was this was one of the fastest ones I have ever seen. It's not going to slow down. I mean, no, you're exactly right. (laughs) I mean, it's it's been increasing for years. And and I think the prioritization to prediction reports have kind of like laid this this story out pretty well. Uh, But but what's happening here is you have these kind of like scannable or wormable bugs where and and what what has also happened is the tooling to scan the Internet has gotten uh, exponentially better. And Jcran, um, everyone and their grandma can spin up. Uh, devices on the cloud that have uh, recyclable IP addresses. Uh, and so you have no, ri- I mean, I- IP addresses are, are cheap as dirt. Like they're, they're, they don't cost anything now, really. So, and, and the internet is, is the back, the, the, the internet connections themselves, the internet is faster than ever. So it's the combination of those three things, the toolings there, the IP addresses, uh, recyclable IP addresses are there. And like the internet isn't slow anymore. The internet's really fast now. I would even throw in a fourth, which is the, the simplicity of these bugs is pretty real. I mean, it's, it's oftentimes just a single HTTP request 
request or a single set of HTTP. And, and you're not you're not looking at a memory corruption bug where you have to you know understand the layout of memory, understand objects. Oh like yeah, and and like and like understand the nuances of of the you know continuation. The, yeah, like yeah, in the, it's it's the stack layout of all these different architectures. <laughs> it's all just web requests. It's web yeah, servers. Yeah. Hang like, on, let from, me insert like, a, let me insert an admin account. I'll be right yeah, back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all it's literally it's all just it's just web servers, and it's yeah. like it's string expansion bugs. It's like path it's like traversals. path traversals, yep. uh, OS command injection. Yep. It's like a new class of bugs that's like reasonably, um, reasonably. Uh, what would, like, we, th- uh, we thought they were dead. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and they're back. Um, it's reasonably universal uh, yeah. because everyone's building on top of like web technology now. So that's yeah. just kind of how it is. Yeah, completely. And and um, you know this this sort of thing. Uh, at least with the ASAs and and with other technology, like I think people are being surprised by the technologies that are embedded inside these network devices. Like you thought they were very hardened. I, I mean, they were hardened, right? Like they've been through tons and tons of pen tests, but like bugs sometimes get missed. Uh, and I think in the case of the ASA bug, which is the most recent one that comes to mind, there's like Lua embedded inside of this uh, web VPN client. Uh, and there's another one that moved really, really quickly. Now that one hasn't been uh, RCE'd yet. Uh, but that's another one where it's like two hours from release to uh, everybody's scanning for it. This is going to sound really weird, but it's like, like you know, 10 years ago, there was a concept of an internal pen test and an external pen test, right? For better or worse. I mean, whether that's the right or the wrong way to think about, uh, you know, doing security testing, there's an internal pen test and an external one. And it's kind of like now the bad guys are thinking of the internet as one big giant internal pen test where yeah. <laughs> you have, where you have acts, like the name of the game is just find the device and, and that has the bug that you're talking about and then, and then pivot from there. It's, it's, and then maybe. Maybe you get lucky and it's and it's on a network that's really juicy. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like bug first, find where find where all it's at. Right. And the bugs happen. They're going to keep happening. They're not going to stop happening. Yeah. It, and I would I would even beat the drum a little bit harder. I mean, if you're really trying to do this in a big way, you're going to pre-collect all that data and just have oh, it available. Yeah. You're not going to scan the Internet. You're just going to you're going <laughs> to like you're going to run one of a number of services that's yeah. constantly grabbing the info for as many of these different services as possible so that th- you don't have to do that early warning thing or you can do as little of it as humanly possible as the bad guy let's go correlate against our cash yeah that's exactly thing, yeah. right and that's that's what's funny is that's how good guys do it and that's how bad guys do it too because it's the right way to do it it's the smart way <laughs> it works for both of them yeah and, and so i think that just reinforces the point that scanning is not going to be a threat it's it's the actual usage of that data that's the threat you know this is where like my eyes roll into the back of my head sometimes when I'm talking to people where like some people really do think that like but when you put something on the internet if someone comes and talks to it like they're up to no good and there's a whole other school of thinking which is don't put anything on the internet that you don't expect people to talk to and then what it becomes is okay, we have all these things on the internet. We did not realize they were on the internet. And I would like to yell at the person who made me aware that they're on the they're internet. On the internet. <laughs> and and, and my, my message to everyone is like, that is a bad way to look at things. You should be thanking these people for finding these yeah, things that are Jay on the Kran's internet. Yeah, that's Jay Cran's MO, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's using the legal system instead of using technical controls, right? Like, and using using legal threats. And that, that's only so effective. That, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. It's not even a question of is that the right or the wrong way to do it it's like is it effective or not right 
And it turns out maybe it was at a point, but like not anymore. And nobody's saying you shouldn't use legal threats in the appropriate circumstances. But I think everybody's saying like there are good technical controls now that, you know, allow you to build your networks in such a way uh, that prevent unauthorized parties from being even able to see them. Uh, and that's where we need to go with this. I mean, that's got to be sort of the end state. And so I think I think. You, you know, everything's moving in the right direction. The incentive is generally correct for researchers to be able to do this. And the more we can do this from a security perspective, encourage researchers to be able to go out and enumerate these problems and get them in front of uh, organizations. Uh, it sort of sets this incentive for organizations to pull their systems to more of a zero trust model. And that, that is definitely the right direction uh, for the vast majority of IT systems. Yeah. Well, I'm for me, this ship is almost already sailed, right? Like collection of data and optimizing people's pathways and time to data, right? That's the name of the game on the internet right now, right? Like, so to do that, you need to have these scanners. You need to know where things sit and you need to understand all that. So it just like, it's already It seems there. so logical, right? It's whether or not you're okay <laughs> with that. Go look at AWS. I mean, it is a mess. Well, and that's what I'm curious. So I want to kind of take this back around. We were talking about gray noise as a vulnerability intelligence tool, but you're talking about how there's so much data right now inherently. I think where we're driving to is threat intel feeds before we're okay with just throwing all this data at you. But you were having, how do you productize that, right? You can't. It, the The value from that is providing the context, enriching that data, giving actionable intel. Right. So so here is, here is my biggest problem with threat intel right now. My biggest threat, my biggest problem with threat intel right now is that you can't quantify the value. They don't even try. And, and it's, and it's, and so in, in this case in particular, it's like you can't rattle up someone's cage and tell them that there's bad guys out there doing bad things and tell them that if they buy your product, the bad thing won't happen. And the bad thing costs one gajillion zillion dollars. So we're going to charge you 10 bucks less than that. And you're safe now. Right. And as long as the undesired outcome doesn't occur, um, then they will feel good about it. And look, I get that there is an at, like an amount of that that is insecurity just generally. Right. Like that's definitely true. Security products, 100 percent. But like, you get at least put some effort into quantifying the value that you're providing to the customer. And like, that's why for us, like, at, like, like it all goes for gray noise. It all goes back to like how much time are we saving the analyst um, based on uh, based on how much their average um, incident time to close or ticket time to close multiplied by how many analysts you have multiplied by the regional salary of, of, of the area or of the sock. You end up with the exact amount of money that we're saving you. And I get that 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 is not that that level of um of like mathematical soundness is not achievable with with everything in security, especially as it relates to threat intelligence. But like, give it a shot. Put some <laughs> effort into quantifying the the value that you're providing to people, so that it's not just it, it it's too opaque right now. And they don't even they don't even try. Completely agree, and and very similar to how Kenna does it, where where basically we look at uh, the amount of vulnerabilities that get delayed instead of fixing them right away. It's it's all about that. The analyst is the most expensive thing out there when it comes right down to it. I mean, like the time that these folks are spending on these alerts, uh, the more you can save of that, the better. Uh, and so I, I, I think this is really incredibly important work. Yeah, and opportunity costs where they could be doing something 
much more valuable with all that time they're doing hygiene admin work, which is all like necessary, right? But like we can cut that down. I'm not advocating for buying gray noise and then firing all the analysts that 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 would have been in the sock responding to the alerts that they don't have to respond to anymore because gray noise just saved them all that time. That's not it at all. There's so much work to be done elsewhere in the sock, automating, like tuning, like building, like in like hunting, like all this other stuff. So like, yeah, it's the opportunity cost of all the other work that they that they can't be doing because they're 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 you know busy getting absorbed into looking at alerts they call that non-incidents yeah non-incidents yeah. that's right well that's that's actually a really good uh, kind of segue into uh these analysts right they should be doing something a little bit more advanced with you know their human skills and we can automate a lot of this stuff how intelligent are some of these bad actors out there like are you seeing them modify uh their behavior based off of what they're trying to go after um any insights on some of the stuff oh, you're saying? Oh, that's there? that's very hard to answer. Only because it's 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 um, it's broad. So you're talking about the bad guys that Gray Noise sees. How smart are they? Yeah, and and ultimately, like, how do you quantify something as? malicious like what is the thing that's causing because as i understand it gray noise will go in and, and label uh certain uh ip addresses domains etc as either benign safe and ultimately give more context around who it is uh, but what 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 is it that drives malicious so malicious is defined by doing one of any things that are that we have, albeit, you know, like I don't want to call it arbitrary, but that we have defined as like this is something you shouldn't do on someone else's machine without going through a set of steps of of uh, like best practices of being a good Internet citizen. You, you need to let them know who you are. You need to let them be able to contact you, be able to opt out, be able to like and you, and you need to you need to come from like your predictable set of ranges or advertise who you are. And, and if you do those things, then it's one thing. Um, if 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 you do one of a number of different things that only a bad guy would do or you exhibit a bit of behavior that only a compromised device would do then on on a number of different systems without going through the the steps of announcing who you are etc mm -hmm. uh, you're bad you're malicious nice and it doesn't have to be it, the thing is like you don't it doesn't actually have to be like a, an ml crazy sort of ai blah 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 like the 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 list of bad things that an ip address can do at the scale that we look at is enumeratable it's not it's not the kind of thing that you have to just like throw TensorFlow at it. You can literally write all of the 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 cases of the or many, many, many of them. You end up with hundreds of rules, but it's achievable. It's not like it's not rocket science. I have to ask the question. Is it is it uh, is there a ton of Mirai still? Is that still a thing? So much, <laughs> so much Mirai. Didn't, didn't we didn't we end that? One would think the, <laughs> there are still devices that ship insecure to the vulnerabilities that Mirai targets by default, straight from the factory. There's still devices, I mean, not like a few of them, like a ton of them, that you can go you can go and buy from, you know, whatever website, an IP camera, plug it into your network, uh, or plug it on straight onto the internet, and it is it might as well come pre-infected. And it, it will get it will get owned in five minutes. Yeah, nice. So and just so everyone knows, Mirai is a very, very famous IoT centric bug, basically, vulnerability. And it's splintered, right? Like there's a bunch of different right. variants now. Yep. And and do mm -hmm. you see those different variants? Like I'm curious, yeah. kind of like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and we, we like you, there's ways to fingerprint Mirai like 
as this is like a Mirai variant for sure. And then there's even ways to subcategorize and subcatalog which Mirai variant it is. I'm not going to go into like a, an insane amount of detail on it, but like like the the best way that I can like talk about that intelligently is basically they're all programmed to look for um, slightly different things within one of a like a, 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 a small window. And so you basically just say like, okay, um, like. Uh, what things are you looking for? Because they're all taking C2 orders from the same place. So you just, who's looking for the same stuff? Who got the same orders, right? Or who has the same capabilities, right? I mean. So you can kind of see them change in real time too, oh, right? Yeah. Like if they add a new path. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's super interesting. Yeah. And there's some that's automated ongoing like spreader behavior. And then there's some that's like on demand. The bot, you know, the bot man just told me to look for this thing. And all of a sudden everyone starts looking for it at the exact same time. And you're like, cool. I don't know anything about you other than the fact that you're all controlled by the same person because you all just started doing the exact same thing at the exact same time, um, which actually is really cool, especially when you're trying to tie different families together and you're trying to tie like who who's controlled by the same actor. Yeah. Our, like my my IP lawyer is about to come in here, kick the door down, and tell me to <laughs> shut up. So I'm not going to get too much further on it. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, it, well, it, it, this is really good context and really good detail, and and I think um, you know, like I'm really excited to see more detail around that come out. And and as you kind of like talk through the the Gray Noise Twitter account, keep those vulnerabilities coming. Like th that's useful intelligence for. Uh, uh, can of customers, but pretty much everybody in the space can benefit from that sort of intelligence. Yeah, it's always good when somebody who has no skin in the game objectively, because like the, the Twitter doesn't, obviously it doesn't just go to our customers, it goes to thousands of people. So it's like, we, we have no skin in the game for any of these people other than building a good reputation and making sure that people trust us. And if they click the link and they trial the product and they buy it, maybe we'll make a little bit of money. But we wanted, we, we do that specifically because it's like, look, we're we, we're objective we're 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 all we do is we look at internet wide scan and attack traffic and when we see something that we feel like is relevant to be told to everybody we're going to do that and we don't have a, we don't have a product for it yet so i mean for 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 that specific use case so we'll just keep we'll just keep doing it and a lot of people find a lot of value in that uh very very cool so this has been an awesome conversation. I kind of want to tie things together at the end with what do you see for kind of this future of threat intelligence? Like what is an ideal state for you and what's it going to take to get there? Oh, that's a really good question. It's two, two big things jump out at me like right off the top. I have three, three big things jump out at me like right off the top of my head. Like one, we need to see more of a focus on like, on like allow list and good. Like, like everyone's trying to enumerate the threats, but while the threats multiply, you're going to eventually get to a point where like nobody's trying to enumerate the good. And, and that is really, really important. And that is just as threat intelligence as bad guys, bad guys are threat intelligence. It's just, you're thinking of it the exact other way around. You, you can't, you can't know if something is bad without having a reasonably good firm handle on what's good or what's expected. And that's kind of a the core tenet to zero trust, right? Like, let's know what's a good thing to let communicate. Uh, yeah, I actually like, I, I haven't done my homework on what zero trust means to a lot of people right now, so I could, couldn't tell you, but- I just uh, learned it I like three so. weeks ago, it's all good. <laughs> I could, I, you know, I'll, I do, I'll do my best. So I would say like a bigger enumeration of like what's good, what's expected, right? Uh, what should be allowed? Because everyone's already has an internal process for that anyway. Um, the second thing is like, I want to see more marriage between vulnerability and threat which we all, obviously everybody in this room right now is like, yes, yes right? Yeah. <laughs> but like, but like the, the idea of atomic risk ratings for a threat 
it just needs to die because the, the, the rating of the vulnerability relies on like how prevalent that vulnerability is in your organization. If bad guys are, if, and when bad guys are opportunistically exploiting that vulnerability, like you just can't look at a vulnerability in a vacuum. And you, you, I know that you have to for certain things to figure out how bad it could be, but, but we need to know how bad it is. Right. So I would say like more of a focus on that. And I'm not just saying that because I know that you guys do a lot of that. I was going to say, you're kind of preaching to the choir. Well, Yeah, I know. I'm like, we're, we're all in here like patting ourselves on the back like we all got it pack it up boys um but no so then the third thing is like just just more collaboration like i just we just need to see more organizations sharing data and that's the for-profit companies that's the socks that's the the or like that's you know who if that's the isacs right like i mean i i don't know we need to see more collaboration we need to see more open dialogue more sharing of information right because that's just everybody wins when we do that right and if we define this the good outcome as preventing bad things from happening or staying on top of the threats as an industry then like we gotta we gotta work together better we gotta collaborate more we absolutely have to completely agree totally agree there well andrew thank you so much for joining us again congratulations on the seed round so that's very much amazing uh anyone listening i will link in the podcast show notes along with the blog that we'll use to promote this Go follow Gray Noise IO on Twitter. You should go follow Andrew if you don't mind some cuss words in his tweets. They're very entertaining. Go check it out. Um, we'll link to uh, graynoise.io and any relevant content as well. And thanks for listening. Everyone have a nice day. <laughs>